You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, fans, and welcome to Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis of 24-7 Sports. So the mad thinker on Twitter uh, hit me up with some of the thoughts on the reliever stuff, and one of the good points he pointed out was that he didn't have a lefty on the team. Um, you know, I also did use saves because part of the problem in finding data for relievers and just kind of, you know, when I look at top 50 um, war, I could just pull a bunch of stuff for pitchers or for pitch for starters, I should say. I could pull a bunch of stuff very easily for um, your typical infielders. It was a lot harder to kind of get together this idea of relievers because they're not going to be listed amongst the league leaders in most things. And I think, uh, you know, as he kind of stated in some regard very nicely uh i I had a flawed approach let's put it that way so let's look at the games played list let's kind of go back in we had our seven names um if you forgot we're gonna spend some more time this is reliever week on the show um in terms of what's going on so let's very quickly talk about the seven guys just so you remember who's on the list those seven were cody allen doug jones brian shaw mike jackson jose mesa bob wickman and ray narleski it is interesting when you go and you look at the games played list. We already talked about Mo Harder and his ridiculously long career. Uh, games played amongst pitchers for the Indians goes Mel Harder, Bob Feller, Willis Holden, Bob Lemon. Fifth is Cody Allen. So I think he is pretty safe. We can put him in there as, as on this list. Uh, Gary Bell, Mike Garcia, Mr. Underrated, Brian Shaw, Eric Plunk, Raphael Buttoncourt. So I think Shaw is safe. And I'll tell you right now, Jones is safe. Those are three guys you can't cut. You cannot cut Jose Mesa because of the peak. So Jackson, Wickman, Narleski. These are the three guys who could be up for losing a spot on this team. And I just wanted to quickly dive into some players that uh, I thought of and came to mind. But also just in terms of like games played for the Indians as a pitcher, how about Joe Smith is 18th all time? Uh, you go further down, you know, talk about Doug, Doug Jones, 23. David Risky, 26. Zach McAllister, 28th. Do you think that Zach McAllister would be among the top 30 just pitchers to appear in a game for the Cleveland Indians in the long history of that team? Uh, Chris Perez, who talked about 29. Wickman, 30. Tony Sipp, 33. That's another interesting one. CeCe Zabathia, 34. You go down. Crasco's at 37. Mudcant Grant at 38, a name we haven't really talked about, but someone you know worth mentioning. Ray Narleski at 39. Mike Jackson at 44. Uh, Jim Kern is 50 at 201. Corey Kluber was 46th before he got traded out. Um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting list to look at. So one of the guys that isn't on there that I thought about when I was trying to find a lefty was Derek Lilliquist. Now, Derek Lilliquist, in my mind, was core part of the 90s Indians. That's so not true uh, on any level. Derek Lilliquist was awesome in 92 and 93, like really, really awesome. And uh, those are the only years that he was. After that, he was, before that, he was not a usable pitcher, really. Uh, He went Atlanta to San Diego to Cleveland, and then he left Cleveland and went Boston and Cincinnati. I was kind of curious to see what happened. Uh, His final year in Cleveland was exceedingly mediocre um, with the Indians, Uh, but he did turn, you know, well, no, so when he must have been released by the Indians. so the you just go through it so sorry uh selected off waivers by the indians from the padres then the indians waived him in 94 and the braves claimed him in 94 so that's they they got him on waivers and they lost him on waivers 
Um, he didn't actually appear for the Braves in 94, and that 94 season he was exceedingly me- mediocre. Interesting story. Uh, sixth overall pick in the uh, 87 draft. That's a really interesting draft for, for many reasons. Uh, that was the last time that uh, Georgia had a pair of pitchers go in the first round, which was before the chaos this year, something that could have happened. Um, that is the Ken Griffey Jr. draft. And the year before, uh, Kent Merker out of Dublin, Ohio, had been the first high school kid taken in the entire draft. So you had back-to-back years with a kid from Ohio being the number one prep talent drafted in the draft. So just kind of a fun Ohio tie-in there. So uh, we've talked about uh, Lilliquist a bit doesn't stand the, the test of time. Should we talk about Joe Smith and his runs in Cleveland? Um, you know, he was reliable and you go through the data and they're really strong years in there, really rubber armed. You know, he has a legitimate case along with Shaw uh, to be up there. Uh, really good reliever. Uh, a lot of innings. His worst season with the Indians was when he came back in that trade with Toronto. He, he was not very good for half of 2017, but even before he left, like every year had been good. Uh, 2010 was his worst season uh, for the Indians. Uh, when he left, he had a 1-8-1 ERA the next year. Just a solid, reliable arm. Paul Ossenmacher was probably the lefty I was thinking about in the 90s. I don't know why I can't, you know, it, I, Derek Lilliquist was there as well. Austin Mocker had bounced around a ton, came to the Indians in 95. And you look at the numbers, and he was he had a four-year run of greatness before 1999 at age 38, imploding. Uh, not a high innings guy for the Indians during that run. The most he ever had was 49 innings in a year. But uh, he was, you look at the, the ERA pluses during that time, a 167, a 158, a 160, a 147. It's interesting because you go back to that, like 94 at the White Sox, a 133. Like he was actually pretty good most years uh, leading up to coming to Cleveland. And the Indians signed him as a free agent uh, that year. And I don't remember it being a big deal, but he turned into a a very solid player for them. Uh, The lefty in the pen for those Indians from 95 through 98, uh, just a solid everyday reliever. He doesn't doesn't make the list, but he is up there in appearances and someone we have to talk about. So I think Eric Plunk, though, uh, is someone we're going to... Here's the deal. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the Raffies. We're going to talk about Paul Shuey. We're going to talk about Eric Plunk. And we're going to talk about some changes to the all-time Indians. So I'm going to put my money where my mouth is, and I've talked about how I enjoy Built Bar. I'm actually going to sit here and uh, order make my order right now uh, for Built Bar because I've talked about that uh, I enjoy their product so much that I was going to reorder using our, our sale. Uh, it's I find them it, it, one of the best, um, if not the best, protein bar that I have ever had. So the Toffee Almond, that is the one that I liked a whole bunch. I don't remember trying banana, but I'm someone who loves banana flavors. So I'm going to go with that one. Uh, in terms of my final one, there's a lot of good choices on here. and That's part of the problem for me. I'm like, Mm-mm. I think I'm going to go with the German chocolate cake as my third order, and I'm going to add that to my my cart. Get uh, Those are my three flavors in the build my own box for this. I'm going to add that to the cart um, over at builtbar.com, and then I'm going to enter the promo code locked on and get myself a box because I believe in this product um, because they gave me a chance to try it, and I quite enjoyed it, and I think it is quite good. Uh, so I believe in it enough that I'm going to sit here. And the ad today is me sitting here ordering 
my next order of Built Bar because I enjoyed their product so much. So if that is the best thing I can say for them, I am using the promo code right now. I am buying Built Bar. If you like protein bars, go over to BuiltBar.com. Use that promo code locked on, all one word, and place your order today. And our other sponsor is, of course, Postmates. They have been our sponsor through all of social distancing and these times of quarantining. Uh, they bring you your items. It could be fast food. It could be your groceries. It could be something from the corner store. It could be from Walgreens. Their whole thing is when you need it, any time of day, any day of the week, they're going to bring it to you. So you're going to download the Postmates app uh, on iOS or Android. You're going to use that promo code locked on. And for the first seven days, you get $100 of delivery credit. So for those first seven days, the delivery credit, uh, the cost of that is going to be on us for the delivery charge. You're going to have them bring it to you uh, without that uh, delivery charge for the first seven days. You can try to use up the whole 100 and get everything brought to you. It's the perfect thing to use during these times. Postmates.com, promo code locked on. So let's talk about Eric Plunk. Uh, Eric Plunk is one of those guys where I feel like Bobby didn't appreciate him enough during his time in Cleveland. He had been with the Yankees before he came to the Indians in 1992. And if you want to give uh, Hart credit for anything, he was pretty good at finding relievers. Um, you look at some of the Shapira Antonetti years, they've had some luck with the uh, getting the guys off the scrap heap and kind of keeping that going. But uh, Hart was able to find these guys uh, out there in the market. Plunk, in a interesting turn of fate, would eventually leave the Cleveland Indians in 1998 when the Indians traded him for Doug Jones. That's how they got Jones back in there. But he signed as a free agent after years with the uh, the New York Yankees. And he was originally uh, part of both Ricky Henderson trades. Both, uh, he was traded by the Yankees for Ricky Henderson. And then the Athletics traded him back along with uh, Luis Polonia and Greg Cadera for Ricky Henderson. So he has the distinct distinction of uh, being involved in two deals for Ricky Henderson. Now, Plunk in his early career uh, was pretty solid. 86-87, uh, not not his best years, but after that, he settled into that, uh, that solid relief role. Uh, 1991 with the Yankees was a down year for him. He was age 27. There's always, you know, around that heat. But it was also a, an extremely high inning year for him. He started six, started eight games, actually. Appeared in 43. Had over 100 innings for just the third time in his career. Um, after that down 91, the Indians were able to swoop him, bring him to Cleveland. And he was just solid. Uh, every single year, up until 97, he had an ERA that was below uh, four, most years below three. He pitched a lot of innings, 70 plus, all but one year. His ERA pluses, which, you know, kind of give us that differentiation between most players of the era. You know, 156, 185, 176, 200, 101, 106. His final year, he was a 99, uh, gets traded to Milwaukee and rebounds. So at age 33 and 34, he struggles a bit. But you're looking at a guy who pitched in Cleveland for seven years. I mean, I guess six and a half and never had a bad season in six and a half years. When I'm, you know, looking at the Indians list of performers, it's like, who would I take off? Who is probably the weakest link? And that's probably either Ray Narleski or Mike Jackson. And Narleski was six, uh, five years in Cleveland, four of them good. 
Um, I think you have to take off Norleski for Eric Plunk at this point. Plunk had more of a consistent performance and had more years, more time doing it. So, uh, sorry, Norleski, you are our first change. Eric Plunk into our all-time pen. Let's talk about Paul Shuey. Now, Paul Shuey is a player that I have often... um, I have to watch my bias because my bias with him comes from the fact that the Indians took a reliever with the second overall pick in a draft. They had the second overall pick in the 1992 draft, and they drafted a reliever. Um, this is, you know, back during the days where it went back and forth between AL had first pick one year, NL the next year. Um, Phil Nevin was the no doubt guy. You know, we've talked about this multiple times on the pod. I remember hearing that they had, like, later on, like, reading something in a paper or hearing online that they had liked Jeffrey Hammonds out of Stanford, but he had no interest in signing. Um, Calvin Murphy was another top 10 guy, and they had already had taken a shot with him in the first round. And really, in the grand scheme of things, Chewy wasn't, yes, they could have made a better pick, but he wasn't an awful pick. And you look at his time in Cleveland, um, outside of 1997, he was a solid, well-above-average reliever every single year. Uh, ERA's under 4, strikeout rates 9, 10, 11, walk rates sitting in the 4s. He struck guys out. He didn't walk too many. His FIPs were strong, especially later into his career um, when he moved into... He never really moved into the closer role. He Most he ever had in a season with Cleveland was 6. Um, but he was a solid 8th inning guy. He was a really good 8th inning guy. And he's another one. You look at him. He spent nine years with the Cleveland Indians. Career ERA of 3.6. I mean, I'm like, so nine years. And if we want to look at, like, comparison pieces, like the ERA plus, 171, 160, 159 are his three highest. If I bounce back to our all-time Indians list and I pull up uh, Mike Jackson, for instance, you're going to see that Mike Jackson can't be there over Paul Shuey. But I'm like, can I really put... Paul Shuey on the all-time Indians list. It is, it's a massive conundrum for me because I always basically undervalued Shuey, but at the same time, his career war was a 6.8 for Shuey. Um, I am having problems getting the Mike Jackson I want, but basically, you know, we know with uh, I'm getting the, the pitcher who pitched with the Indians in the 70s, but uh, when we look at the overall statistics, Shuey is is a better choice than Mike Jackson. Let's put it that way. It's again, it's nine years in Cleveland. Um, Seven of those were very strong. I guess six and a half because he was traded. But even that year he was traded to the Dodgers, he was in the midst of a very strong year. Struggled with the Dodgers that year at age 31. Age uh, 32, he pitched quite well, but uh, injuries occurred. He then wouldn't pitch again in the majors until 2007, four years before he'd come back with Baltimore, and that that didn't go well. But I think Shuey's a better choice than Mike Jackson. But here's the thing. Shuey doesn't stay on the team because I think a better choice than Paul Shuey overall when you're looking at all-time Indians is Raphael Betancourt. Now, Raphael Betancourt is one of those players who, again, fascinates me. He did the Bob Lemon track. He was an infielder converted to a pitcher uh, who came up with the Indians, and yes, he was incredibly slow on the mound, but he was incredibly effective, excellent control, uh, career walk rate of 2.2, many times 
under two for his career. Strikeout rate, the worst it ever was, was 7.6. For his career, it's over nine. Uh, so he he missed bats. He didn't hurt himself with the walk. And again, a rubber-armed guy, you know, 66, 67, 79, 71, pitched for the Indians for seven years, then traded to Colorado um, where he pitched for six more years. And he would miss the 2014 season, come back in 2015 at age 40, um, and it wasn't grand, but that 2013 season at age 38, he was actually still effective. Uh, 2008, which was the year before they traded him, was a down year. That was a big struggle for him. I felt like the whole team had a bit of a hangover after the uh, 2007 ALCS, and Betancourt was part of that. He rebounded for the Indians before eventually being traded away uh, to Colorado that year. But you go down the list, it's strong, stellar performances, uh, 2007 in particular. That's kind of the separator. So Shuey actually might have been a little more consistent, um, had higher overall levels, but Shuey never had a year that approached um, Raphael Betancourt's 2007. A 147 ERA, a walk rate of 1 per 9, a strikeout rate of 9.1. His ERA plus was a 307. So I think Betancourt over Shuey over Mike Jackson at this point. I think Raphael Betancourt, and that's the crazy thing to think about again, is this is someone who did not pitch in the majors until he was 28 years old. Did not, I'm trying to, my internet isn't working with me well. I want to pull up his minor league numbers. Um, you know, he had some pitching, started pitching in 97. Um, but it was, you know, let's see, that was 27 games he pitched that year. He was mostly a hitter. Uh, he kind of, you know, in a way, you look at the numbers, it's like he 1994, he's a 19-year-old who they signed with the Red Sox, and he's playing in the infield in 94, 95, 96. Uh, 97, he starts that transition over to pitcher. And then eventually the Indians acquire him in 2003. So four years for him in the minors with the Red Sox. And for whatever reason, it really clicked once he got to Cleveland. Now, his numbers in the minors never would have made you think this is a guy who was going to pitch for 12 years in the majors. But he did, and he was as reliable as they come. He was never, um, in my mind, he was one of those guys who seemed to never really work in the uh, closer role for the Indians. I know they tried him at points, and it uh, it felt like he was just better suited to the eighth inning role. But at the same time, he went to Colorado and had a 37 save and then a 16 save season before injuries at 37 and 38. So sometimes I think we have to take some of those biases when there's a bad game here, a bad game there, and just kind of shove it and move on. I don't know. What's your thoughts? I'd love to hear from people. If you had to choose between Mike Jackson, Raphael Betancourt, and Paul Shuey, and not just for one year, but for like four years, who are you taking? Um, I think that is a, a big debate for this team. And then Mad Thinker is right. We have to have a lefty on this team. I talked about Macher. When you look at Andrew Miller, it was essentially one and a half years because they traded for him. He's fantastic. The next year, he's fantastic. And then he had a very middling final year in Cleveland. And since then, it's like, who are the lefties? Is it Brad Hand? No, he's not. I He's just been the model of inconsistency. So where do we go? Who do we do? And I think you have to talk about Rafael Perez. Um, have Rafi lefty and Rafi righty in the all-time Indians pen? Maybe. He debuted for the Indians in 2006, uh, just 18 games. And then from 2007 through 2011, he was phenomenal. It, the peak was 2008, and that's it's such an outlier year. Um, 
10.1 strikeouts per nine. Uh, the rest of his career, it's like six, 5.3, 4.7, And Perez had problems with consistency. Um, let's just put it out there. His 2000, uh, not his 2008 was good. His 2009 was atrocious. He was able to rebound in 2010 and 2011 and injury issues in 2012 limited him. And that was the end of his career at age 30, seven years with the Indians. Um, uh, let's see. So you have two partial years. So he's got four really good years and one truly awful year. Um, but that's kind of where we are with the Indians. It's do I go for Rafael Perez? Do I go with Paul Hassenmacher? You know, maybe there's someone I'm forgetting, but you know, when I pull up the Indians all time list of like who's appeared in the most games, there's just not a lot of lefties on that list. It seems like the Indians have had trouble finding a left handed reliever uh, for eons. And Peak Rafael Perez was maybe the best left-hand reliever in baseball. And when he wasn't at peak, he was mostly uh, still excellent. You know, 178 ERA, 354, 325, uh, 3. And in those years, ERA plus of 255, 120, 122, 133. The the strikeout thing is a concern as I look at it. And it is kind of interesting that's like a walk rate of like 2.7, 4.7, 3.7, 2.7. It's just he, a lot of variance in his performance over the course of his career. Um, that 2009 season, a 12.4 hit rate just shows extreme unluckiness. Uh, but yeah, we need to find a lefty. Hit me up with ideas on other lefties. Again, it's kind of harder to find quick number research on people who should be potentially in the pen for the Cleveland Indians as we talk about an all-time team. You know, It's one of those things that the relief position has really only existed almost for my lifetime. I mean, it's been there. We talked about Ray Narleski, obviously, who was almost essentially a reliever. But for most players, it's either where they started or where they ended. It's not where they logged the majority of their time with the team. That kind of changed in the you know, the 80s, 90s, uh, where it became much more of a specialized role. And the upside for me is that's when I was starting to pay attention to baseball. So names stick in my mind. Um, but yeah, hit me up with some more ideas, some more players. At this point, I'm, I'm tempted to take out Bob Wickman. Uh, I, I never felt like he was all that great of a reliever. We looked at the numbers, like he was good. Um, but he <laughs> had to be maybe the least impressive all-time saves leader that a, a team had for uh, a period. Um, so I can't see him there. So I have at this point, I have Rafi Lafitte, Rafi Righty, Eric Plunk, Cody Allen, Doug Jones, and Brian Shaw for my all-time Indians bullpen. Yes, a lot of recent bias, but uh, we'll have to see. Maybe in a few years, we'll be talking about James Karen Chalk in there, or Kyle Nelson, or Nick Sandlin. We have this kind of nice little renaissance of arms to check out and pay attention to. This one ran a bit long. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed the Friday show. We're going to have a lot of virtual baseball to catch up with on Monday, and we will see if we have any other news. Quickly, Francisco Lindor, uh, like that's not news that the Indians um, were rebuffed in trying to sign him. He has had no interest in signing. He has never had any interest in signing. It's just like the Mookie Betts situation. Um, Boston could not sign Mookie Betts. That's why they traded him, because he always felt like hitting free agency was not just the best thing for him, but the best thing for baseball players in general. Francisco Lindor knows the best thing for him and for baseball players in general to kind of raise costs and everything else is for him to hit the open market. And he was always going to hit the open market. The Indians could sit there today and offer him, you know, $30 million a year, and he would say no. That's it. I mean, the Indians could offer 10 years, 
300 million and they would get a no that's just the way it's going to happen he's going to hit free agency he's going to take the largest offer in free agency it's going to be just like garrett cole or any of those other situations so what keith law reported at this point in time should be something where you look at it and go yeah that's not news that's what we all know um lindor is not staying yes this situation is hurting the indians economically more than it might hurt other teams and yes, it could make it so that uh, when it comes time to trade Lindor in, in the offseason, uh, they might get less return because they are going to be, uh, there's no way they're going to pay Lindor what he's going to get in arbitration at the end of the season. So that's going to happen. And that could hurt their overall leverage and ability to make a trade. That is the only piece of news that is really newsworthy. Thank you all. As always, you are fantastic. And the reason this show continues on, I have been Jeff Ellis. Remember to tell your locked on, your smart devices to play the Locked On Indians, Locked On Fantasy, Locked On Cleveland Browns, Locked On Indi- uh, Cleveland Cavaliers, all of our lovely Locked On Cleveland podcasts. And as always, go Tribe. <laughs>